0: coming back to this which is the part two of my discussion with matthew jacobson founder of the seminal indie label Legrand magistery this interview in total was so so good that i really had a hard time editing much out of the discussion which is why i made the decision to really present it in two parts to kick off part two here matt speaks about his time working in nashville with jack white at third man records in the early 2010s and by the end of this episode, you'll hear from Matt about where the label is today and what advice he'd give to someone looking to start their own label. But first, let's take a listen to another track from Momus. This is the opening track from Momus' 1996 debut for Le Grand Magisteri, and it's the first release for the label. With that, let's give I Am a Kitten a spin. When you
1: caress your little cat stroke me with your hand just a kitten, but I long to be a man. My little eyes, a Chinese blue, they view with some regret. This girl who's stroking me, God's me only as her pet. And though I'd love to be loved, the gods ordained it that you.
0: You know you worked for jack white his, his third man records uh for, for about a year it's what, what i found as an in-house designer so the, the third man aesthetic has has really become you know probably almost as prominent to fans of that label as the music and you know I, i'd like to kind of know a little bit about what it was like working with jack and his team and, and really kind of what your role was in contributing to that that recognizable look so if you could share a little bit about that Sure. So, so first off, you
2: know, I'd say that I was a fan of Jack's long before working for him. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then after working for him, I I respected him even more, Um, you know, which, which is rare, you never know, you know, how something like that's going to go. His work ethic, his creativity. i mean really all around incredible person incredible artist um and the aesthetic of third man is 333 percent jack okay. um but it's the other 33 percent that he allows people like myself to bring to the label
0: mm-hmm.
2: and when when i would approach him with crazy ideas like you know let's release a record that like basically while you're playing it you can see someone dancing on the surface of it or let's do a poster that's made of three different layers and each one looks okay on its own but when you put them together they create something new um and 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 countless countless other things jack was always incredibly supportive um, he gave sort of the room and the resources to experiment. Um, and I think you can see that through everything they do um, with Third Man, um, from their recordings to their um, you know sort of innovative uh, vinyl releases, many of which uh, at least at the time I was there, uh, I was a, a big part of, um, to their storefronts in Nashville, in Detroit and in London that I recently had the, had the pleasure of visiting. Um, you know, Jack and 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 everyone at Third Man uh, are just incredible to work with. And even though I only spent a year living in Nashville, um, working out of the office down there, um, ever since then, and that was ten years ago, um, I have not stopped. Um, collaborating with them in some way, uh, mostly, uh, when Jack is on tour or any of his bands are on tour. Um, I take that opportunity to design uh, concert posters for Mm -hmm. some of his shows. And, uh, and if you think back to what I was saying earlier with, you know, how magic really influenced my, uh, design, I I tend to have the ability to go crazy with that a bit, uh, on the posters that I do for Jack, um, uh, on tour. So when he performed in Las Vegas, um, we created a, a scratch off concert poster. It was a slot machine with scratch off, um, uh, like a layer of scratch off ink. Uh, and you could actually win prizes and, and, getting back to like how my mom and I had, you know, put those Avery labels on every Grand Magistory mm-hmm. release in the early days. I, I don't remember the, poster the addition of posters for that tour let's just i'm just gonna say that there were 300 of these las vegas posters maybe mm-hmm. there were fewer I, I don't recall but for every single one i was at kyle baker who's my silkscreen printer here in chicago brilliant artist in his own right and and an incredibly collaborative uh printer who's always willing to experiment um i went there with uh probably a dozen different rubber stamps mm-hmm. and He would print the posters and then I would rubber stamp different combinations of symbols in the sort of slot window of each poster. And then he would put a layer of varnish and then he would seal them with, um, you know, that sort of scratch off ink. Uh, And then Shelby Rodifer, uh, incredibly talented artist um, who who I've collaborated with often, uh, we designed a coin uh, that uh, could be used was actually printed a, a real coin uh, that was sold with the poster and that could be used to scratch off the ink, wow. um, and and if you got a certain combination of symbols, you actually won a prize. Um, so again, you know that's that's um, that was that was pretty fun. It was hard to top. The next year that he played Las Vegas, uh, I designed um, with Camilo Medina um, uh, uh, from a band called Divino Nino who is the um, last artist that was released on the Grand Magistery, a seven-inch single of theirs. Um, But Camilo and Julian Baker and I um, all designed a set of 52 playing cards that were poster-sized. And at each concert, when you purchased your poster, you were dealt a card. Um, And then backstage each night, Jack would pick a card out of the deck. And if your card happened to match that card um, again, you would, you would win a prize. So um, I, I, I can't thank Jack and, and again, folks at third man uh, enough for the opportunities um, they give me to sort of go crazy in these instances. Um, and, and I'm very much looking forward to hopefully um, doing the same when Jack is out on tour uh, again next year.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I heard a lot in that answer, you know, obviously the, you know, with the playing card aspect, I mean, we're, we're going back to the magic and, and I think going back to my original question, I think, you know, the fact that, that Jack allowed you to, 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 I mean, not just take an idea, you know, one, one standard deviation, but to take it a couple and say, Hey, we're going to do a poster. We're going to do a scratch off and then we're going to do a coin with it. That really does speak volumes about, you know, his, his, hmm his appreciation for for what you do and what and what those those pieces bring to you know his art and i, I think that's really cool <laughs> yeah I, I i think you know i think
2: jack himself has you know too many great ideas uh and he tends to surround himself with others you know who have similar and i think it's um i think it's an interesting and, and unique talent beyond his musical talent, um, to identify and support and sort of nurture, um, you know, creative projects. So again, I can't say enough good things. It's, it's been 10 years since I worked physically, uh, at third man, but I, I still carry a, a huge piece of that time with me every day.
0: Yeah, no, that, that, I think that's great. So, you know, kind of, I guess, kind of shifting gears back to, to Le grand Magistery, uh, you know, there was a point in the, in the label's trajectory where you partnered with your wife. And you launched Marriage Records. I'd like to kind of know a bit about, you know, kind of what the thought was behind that and the intentions.
2: Yeah, so so I had been running Le Grand Magistery, uh, and my wife, Lee, um, had started a label called Otonito. Uh, and stylistically, they were very different. Um, and I still remember when Matthew from The Music Lovers sent, sent me a demo of his song. It was called This World Versus the Next World. Um, and I remember uh, Lee and I used to play it in the car on repeat over and over. I, I guess that's what repeat means. Uh, <laughs> I don't mean to repeat myself there, but um, uh, but I digress. So so that song and, and Matthew's music in general really spoke equally to both me and to Lee. Um, and we were both interested in releasing it on our respective labels. And we thought, hey, we're getting married why don't we, we release it together? And we started this label called, uh, marriage records. Um, Andrew Prince of, uh, great band mahogany, um, uh, also a, a great, uh, brilliant musician and designer. Um, I believe he's also originally from Michigan. Uh, he designed the, um, the, uh, logo for marriage records, which, um, which I was really, um, which I was really pleased with um, a really smart um, designer.
0: I really never knew that story. And, and I, and I kind of wondered, I mean, those were in, I won't say the early years of the internet, but I don't think, you know, the information was out there as much as it is today. So that, that really explains it. You know, it's funny because when I, when I talked to Claire Wad, we were talking about the the sea urchins and, you know, Mm -hmm. there was a point at which Matt Haynes and Claire both had their fanzines and they, Got a tape from the sea urchins, and there were two tracks on it. And and thankfully, they they both wanted to release a track, and thankfully, it was different tracks. <laughs> so, you know, they they obviously weren't married, but but they had a similar situation where they both had interest in an artist, and thankfully for them, they were able to release different tracks. So, you know, kind of kind of sticking with with my my Claire Wad reference, I asked her the same question, and and I, I'd really like to know this from you because. Like you mentioned, you know, you ran the label, you know, fairly frugally. I mean it, it obviously wasn't wasn't appealing to the masses so that the the money wasn't always there. What are, are you know. saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, I bought them all. I probably uh, have two copies of everything. <laughs> but, probably
2: gave away more than sold.
0: <laughs> um, so, you know, what about running the label did Did you love? Uh, you know, and I think you've talked a little bit about that already, but, you know, what have you loved? And then on the flip side of that, you know, what, what is it you loathed about it? I mean, what was it about running the label yeah. that just wasn't maybe as glamorous as, as you <laughs> maybe thought it would be?
2: So... Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, I, I love the relationships, you know, some of my closest friends, you know, I might have mentioned this come from that period of time, Mario and Rose from Shoestrings, Kendall from Mascot, Craig from Pascal, um, you know, list really goes on. And, and and in fact, my wife and I, Lee, we met through the label. So she had grown up in Toronto with the band Stars. Oh and when i had booked a tour for stars to open for momus they brought lee along to perform electric violin keyboards and backing vocals and momus was the headliner of that tour and stars was the opener but i had spent so many tours selling merch that i said this this was a time, this would have been in 2001 Jan- january 2001 you know, I'd had the label for about five years, been on countless tours, just driving the van and selling the merch. And you remember, I had this background as a magician. Mm -hmm. And shortly prior, the Magnetic Fields had performed in Pontiac at a venue called Seventh House Mm -hmm. and asked me to open up that show as a magician, which I did. And I got the bug again. And so I I mentioned Momus was the, was the, was the headliner stars was the opener. So I guess I was the sort of opener for the opener Mm -hmm. doing a magic act along this tour. And so before the tour started, I reached out to stars and I asked if anyone in their band would be able to assist me. And they said, well uh, you know, they have this woman who they um, have known since childhood uh, Lee uh, who was joining them, uh, and that she would be open to, to assisting me. So we had never met before. Lee and I first met in LAX, in the LA airport on the first day of that tour. And uh, what we did was I, um, she would be on stage with her electric violin and I would go out in the audience and I would, I would have people think of a song, a random song. And without them saying what it was, through you know psychic powers telekinesis i mean this was all show but lee would play that song from the stage and you know presumably people would go crazy Mm -hmm. and then i'd go to the next person they would think of a song and lee would play that from stage and so um while stars drove this was a west coast tour so when basically the tour was from los angeles up to seattle and uh Throughout that tour, stars drove in a van, and then Momus drove a car with Lee and and me in it. And Lee and I would rehearse this magic act up the up the West Coast, <laughs> and that was the genesis of our relationship. And so, yeah, it's it's I'd say my favorite thing about having run the label um, was having met my wife um, and the life and and sort of future that that. Um, gave me and, and, and is still giving, uh, you know, to our, to our family and, and to both of us now I'd say, so that's my favorite thing. My least favorite thing with the label was everything else
1: <laughs> and,
2: and, you know, and, and by that, I mean, everything else. Like mm-hmm. So for a couple of years, I mentioned I had a manufacturing industry distri- distribution agreement with BMG, um, you know, one of the largest manufacturers and and, and distributors uh, and people would call from BMG and they would ask to talk to the art department, which was me. And then someone else would call from BMG moments later and ask to talk to the A&R department. And that was me, <laughs> you know, and then someone else from BMG would call and want to talk to the accountant department really seriously. And again, that was me, you know, and, and, you know, the manufacturing, like, I I think, I, I'm not sure of this, but I think I probably was the smallest label ever to have an agreement with BMG, because I was just one person, yeah. um, you know, and it, it was a lot, you know, it was, I, when I started the label, um, you, know, there, there, you know, especially once you get to a point, when you have tons of releases, it's like, gosh, they've got, like, you're supposed to account every six months and this and that. Like, there's just, there's a lot Mm -hmm. of moving pieces for one person. And the label, unfortunately, never reached a stage where it really made sense um, to bring on others. But I remember, I I mentioned how I didn't want to turn people down early on with that L Records tribute, like if their song wasn't great. Mm -hmm. And I guess to some degree, I never really got past that. And so I I developed an alter ego named Evan Beckwith, um, (laughs) named after the furniture store in Michigan that was called Beckwith Evans. Sure. And so I was like, oh, Evan Beckwith so evan beckwith was the only employee of the label um and he would turn people down he had no problem with it you know he would he would he would follow up on bills you know and, and payments from distributors evan beckwith was great you know i could never find an employee as good as Evan Beckwith.
0: he was the best employee you could ever yeah, ask he really for was you know that's that's yeah <laughs> too bad they're all not not that way um yeah, i know so you know i I'd like to know, you know, obviously you, you had, like we talked about earlier, you had a very diverse stable of artists and, you know, some people may stumble on this podcast because of maybe a previous one that I did or whatever. Is there, is there a a recording that you would, you know, if if they were able to get a hold of you and they were able to say, okay, Hey Matt, where should I start? I mean, what is it that really would, would, would be my, my entryway into the grand magisteries world?
2: Well, it's tough. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I always thought that the label compilations were great places to start. Mm -hmm. Um, Was it him or his music was a compilation I put together um, that was given away for free um, just to, you know, pique the interest um, of people in the label. Uh, Another one was called all done with mirrors. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't believe either of those are available on any of the streaming services. I should look into that, but I am thinking that they're not. Um, in which case i might lead someone to the very first record on the label which was momus's 20 vodka jellies Mm -hmm. Um, i think it's a fairly um eclectic album for momus it was an assortment of sort of b-sides and rarities um and i think it it has a nice um i don't know i i think it's sort of broad strokes that first record probably in some ways encompasses everything that was to come later on um because it itself is is a mix of styles and and moods um so i might suggest that
0: yeah i would agree with that too i mean i'm, I'm thinking i mean the, the compilations are 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 definitely a i mean they're a really good place to start and, but i think I, I think that says it i mean momus is 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 a is a tough one because you know, depending on, on what phase of his career is he's in, you know, it it can be a different style. It can be a different sound, but you know, totally. So for,
2: yeah. And for, for those who haven't heard Momus before, if they only heard the song you played here, old friend, new flame, Mm -hmm. that is not um, indicative of his body of work. Um, It was a specific, um, uh style and um and moment in in time for omis he Mm -hmm. is is like other artists like serge gansberg and and many others who who had um long careers um he uh dipped in and out of styles Mm -hmm. um you know uh and maybe not many artists maybe he's unique um in in that way because i i do think a lot of artists find their sound and stick with it whether that be visual artists or, or or musical
0: yeah, I think, I think he is unique because, you know, I think, I think whether, you know, even if you look at the, the releases he did for you, I mean, each one of those is, is very different. I think if you go back in his catalog even further, I mean, every one of those has a, I mean, there's a, there's a common theme there, but yet each one is very, very different. I think on that podcast, I think he mentioned that, I think he's living in France now, or he was at the time, but that, you know, living in France had an had an impact on on that era of his releases. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he really draws upon, you know, the the environment that he's in, which, you know, again, that that's that's an artist at work, at least in my eyes. Yeah. So totally. So, you know, the, the next track that we're gonna listen to here is, you know, frankly one of my favorites and, and it would probably be in those top five that I would I would recommend to somebody if they were looking to get into the label. And it's a track from a girl called Eddie A girl called Eddie was the moniker or is the moniker for Aaron Moran I I always found her voice to be frankly very seductive I I think the music was was mostly spare in terms of the arrangements but I I think because her voice is so powerful I think it worked Um, the track is called the soundtrack of our lives um, a soundtrack of our life it's a second song from tears all over town EP I just I can't get enough of this track uh, I love the lyrics the delivery is just very very elegant so let's take a listen to this fantastic track the soundtrack of your life by a girl called Eddie The,
1: bigger they are, the they fall. faces on
2: can i say something about the soundtrack of your life a girl called eddie sure um so that yeah that's a great song uh, again i remember when when a girl called eddie aaron moran uh sent me that uh, i was blown away i remember being in my bedroom putting that cd cdr in and just you know it was it was unbelievable um you know, later on, um, my wife Lee. After we met, um, we were actually living um, for the summer uh, of 2001 in in New York, and uh, and Lee was playing with a girl called Eddie. Um, uh, she was performing with her live, playing violin um, and maybe maybe some keyboard as well. Um, but unfortunately, I remember um, on September 11th. Uh, Actually, at the time we had September 11th. I think we had moved out of Momus's apartment, which we'd been subletting. We had to move out of there in September, and Lee and I were staying with our friend Keith Darcy in Hoboken, um, in Hoboken, New Jersey. Um, but both of us were working in the city, and after um the plane struck the towers you know we weren't able to get to hoboken and so we went to Erin's house or her apartment in um, greenwich village Mm -hmm. uh and so it was lee myself and a girl called eddie um in her apartment uh on september 11th and i remember this like it was yesterday her neighbor knocked on the door after all this you know this terrible situation terrible i mean it's you, know, you can't you know it's just immensely sure. disturbing um her neighbor knocked on the door and said i hope they don't cancel my show tonight <laughs> we were like <laughs> what <laughs> and it was like i i couldn't believe it was sort of this sort of show must go on i think i don't know if she was an actress or a singer or what she was but um obviously someone who wasn't aware um, and it slept through, you know, really the the worst attack um, right. on u s. soil.
0: Um, right, the gravity of what was happening?
2: Yeah, wow. yeah, Jeez. but um, Jeez. but that was interesting. We yeah, we spent that time. And then uh, sometime in early evening, we managed to walk over near Chelsea Piers, and there was a mm-hmm. tugboat that took us across the river. And I remember um, sitting on the rooftop of Keith's building. Um, I think we might've had red wine and we were just sitting there just contemplating wow. the, the sadness of it all. And, and, um, you know, and, and what, what, what we would do, cause we, we didn't, we didn't have a place to live at the time.
0: Wow. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know you were there then. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. Boy, oh boy. Yeah. You know, going back to that track though, you know, it's, it's, it's one that, that I find myself, I mean you know, obviously it came out, I don't even know now, um, poof, 20 years ago. I mean, I don't even know, but I mean, I still, when I get in the car, I mean, I'll, I'll search for that track. And it, it just means a lot to me. So I, yeah, you know, I want to make sure when I was putting this together, I'm like, that song has to be in here.
2: Yeah, no, it's great. I think that came out. I, I, I think that came out in 2001 oh. around September 11th. And oh. I, I remember, I think we all felt like, you know it it you know you you know for for a record release um i mean obviously everything else going on in the world you know record release is is is, is nothing but you know it really was was unfortunately not
0: the right timing for that yeah yeah you know it's it's similar to you know I, and i don't know if i don't know if you're a wilco fan but when they did uh yankee hmm. hotel foxtrot yankee foxtrot nah. hotel and it was ashes of america ashes of the american flag or, or whatever but I mean, when I listen to that, it just gives me chills. And I think it was released like within a month before or after the attack. Yeah. It just, it, it just, it's oof, boy. Oh boy.
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, interesting Wilco story. Um, Wilco, when I was working at third man records in Nashville, uh, Wilco was playing at the Ryman auditorium. Mm. And I reached out to a friend who knew the band and I, and the show was sold out. Um, and I said to her, our, our friend, Emily, um, I said, is there any chance you might be able to help, you know, get us tickets to go to the show? And she was like, well, let me see. And she called back and she said, um, sure, I, I can get you tickets to go to the Wilco show at the Ryman if um, if you can um, show the band around third band records. <laughs> and I was like, wow, wait, sure. you mean actually get to meet the band and go to the show like this didn't do any better. So that's great. And then years later, actually, um, uh, with, um, with a couple of the designers, Andy Gregg and Jimmy Allman, we, um, we designed a couple Wilco posters for their shows here in, or for the show here in Chicago, one of which they made into, you know, we're getting onto Christmas right now. One of which last Christmas they had turned into a puzzle, um, it, it printed a little dark so there was a lot of black which made it very difficult to complete so even though we're a big puzzle family um we um we actually gave up on the on the wilco puzzle
0: <laughs> dad i can't believe you have all this this black on this this isn't fair <laughs> yeah it wasn't it wasn't uh it was not the best puzzle so you know i was looking at at discogs just kind of preparing for this and and i was trying yeah. to figure out you know kind of when when the grand magistery started to wind down and and it looked like Based on the release dates, it was it was a fairly gradual process, which, you know, I would contrast to like, again, someone like Sarah, who just basically threw a party and and ended it all. What what ultimately caused you to to really shut the label down and start to wind that wind that thing down?
2: Honestly, you know, I'm really not sure that LaGramma Magistrate ever officially shut down. Right. Um, you know, if the time was right, it could rear its head again. Mm-hmm. You know, I still occasionally toy with the idea of releasing that long-lost L Records tribute mm-hmm. um, that sort of launched the label, but itself never launched. Um, and a few years ago, I was working with Camilo Medina, who I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, he and I had, had rebranded the New York Stock Exchange together. Mm-hmm. Um, the last album that LeGrand, or the last record that LeGrand Magic released was a seven inch single. Um, by Camilo's band, which is called Divino Nino. Um, And they're still um, releasing music today. They just announced, um, I saw on Instagram today, that his band uh, is going to be opening for Chicano Batman, who coincidentally was the opening act for Jack White when he played Las Vegas and I designed that scratch-off poster. Um, So hopefully great things to come from Camilo um, and his band. Um, But yeah, I I mean, I, I think, you know, I think, I don't know... That labels like Le Grand Magisteri, you know, I think there was sort of like an era where indie labels like like mine made sense and could actually add value um, and help in a band's career. Um, but I don't know if a label like Le Grand Magisteri today, with how easy it is for people to discover and hear music, for artists to get their music on Spotify. Um I, I don't I just don't know the value. Um that the magistrate can add and, 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 and likely until, or if that, you know, I ever can sort that out. I don't, I don't know that, that we'd be releasing anything else.
0: Yeah. You know, you know, Claire and I talked about that and how, you know, just, just the effect of the internet, Spotify and that, how it, how it's really, you know, it really put the whole label concept into question. And I still stick though with the fact that, you know, certain labels and I think yours was definitely one of them, Sarah. I mean, 4AD kind of at a certain point was that seal of approval and and it was like you know you knew what you were getting you knew you knew you were going to whether you were going to love it you you would at least get it I guess is probably what I'm thinking um so on that yeah. side of it you know I think I think there's still a place but you know the reality of it is is that with so much out there and so much so accessible you know does it does it ultimately matter and I guess if, if push came to shove, I would say yes, but I could easily be swayed by an argument saying, no, you know what? It's it's completely
2: irrelevant. I think it depends on the resources that Mm -hmm. the label has and the audience that they have a label like ghostly, Mm -hmm. um, another label, great label that grew out of Detroit. Um, you know, to me, there isn't a band that couldn't benefit from being on a label like ghostly. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't know that that's the case with many others. However, admittedly, I am sure there are brilliant labels out there and I wish that I could name check them. Mm -hmm. I'm unfortunately um, at a stage in my life where I'm not discovering music in the same way that I used to. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm still listening to records that i discovered at play it again records at school kids Mm -hmm. records at other music at lunch for your ears um at at rebel rebel Uh, you know great record stores that many of which no longer exist but that i discovered in the 80s and early 90s and that's Mm -hmm. the music that that is still a big part of my life so i can talk for hours as you know but i can talk (laughs) for hours about um labels of that of that era so I, i i i am sure there, there are there are labels right now that are equally relevant and important to the new generation.
0: Yeah, there, there definitely are. You know, it, it, it's funny though. I mean, my daughter is now eighteen, and you know, when I was eighteen, I mean, I knew 4AD, I knew Creation, I knew Sarah. You know, I, I wonder, I wonder hmm, if she would even be aware of that. I know some some music fans definitely are, and so I, I'm with you. I mean, I think there is a place for labels per se. Um, because I think, you know, back to ghostly, I mean, that, that, that's, that's a label that, you know, the, the artists are definitely benefiting from being a part of. So, you know, I, I think for me, I mean, I'm not being interviewed, but I mean, I think there is a place for that still. Um, you know, I guess going back to going back to the, the, I won't call it the closing down of the grand magistrate, we'll will call it the slowing down. Yeah. Is there, is there one thing that, you know, looking back on it, that you know, you would look back and say, I, I would have done this differently. I, if I had a do over, is there something that you'd go back and say, I'd redo it? I'd do it differently. I mean,
2: you know, in many ways, a- everything I did with Le Grand Magistere was really done for the artists. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was, it was an attempt at a vehicle to make these artists well-known, if not, if not famous. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I could have helped make them even more popular so that they could have, you know, retired from their day jobs and live solely on the brilliance of their artistry, like, I, I mean, I don't know why you would start a label without that being a goal or intention. Sure. Um, and so, you know, yeah, in the end, you've got to make a living. All these artists, you know, and myself have to make a living. Um, But I think you get into music because you're a bit of a dreamer, Mm -hmm. whether it's on the side of performing or the side of releasing. Um, And, and I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's sometimes a harsh reality when, when those dreams don't always come true. Sure. Sure.
0: Yeah. You know, and that's, that's kind of, you know, I think that's why, you know, when, when you're younger, you don't have that, you know, that foresight of wisdom and, and you're really living in the moment and everything means everything at that point. and And hmm, yeah, you know, I, I think, I think if, if you're not starting a label with that as being a, a primary driver, then, you know, I, I don't know that, that you're in it for the right reasons or that, you know, that it's going to last, frankly, you know, it, it, you gotta, you gotta be in it for the right reasons. I mean, you're, you're talking about releasing and promoting something that somebody put so much of their their life into and you know i think it's got to be for the right reasons so you know as as we're kind of winding this thing down and and matt this has just been fabulous i i I can't even tell you how much i've enjoyed this conversation you know i love i love Mm -hmm. the stories and i love how and i don't know if this was if this if you had thought about this but how all these artists are are really kind of interconnected. I mean, you can, you know, you were, you were living, you were subleasing Momus's apartment and then you head over to Aaron, Aaron's apartment. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think all these artists, there's a connection there. So I guess one thing I, I'd, I'd like to ask you is, you know, is there, is there any advice that let's just say there is a dreamer out there who's listening to this and, and they heard you and they heard your story and they're familiar with the label and they're like, I want to start a label. I mean, wh- what advice would you give them?
2: Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Stay no, <in> school. <laughs> no 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 no. but actually do it but but i would say you know figure out what you could do differently mm-hmm. from what others are doing there you, you know I, I i look at a label um like precious recordings in england mm-hmm. um, right now they're re-releasing bbc live sessions of of great bands again from the 90s um, and they're packaging them as 7 in singles that are just like just perfectly detailed. Mm-hmm. They put so much care into these releases. Uh, and to me, they're doing it right. And they're doing something differently. They're, they're sort of going through the archives, um, curating their releases, Um, And just putting a lot of care into it. But, you know, maybe today something different is like figure out how to, I don't know, launch a label in the metaverse with Mm -hmm. talent made of avatars and selling (laughs) music as (laughs) NFTs, you know, like anything to help artists make it, you know, in this economy that unfortunately is stacked against them. Mm -hmm. Um, You you know, if if you think about it, uh, Beeple, who for those of you who don't know, um, should, is, is 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 a digital artist who uh, earlier this year uh, sold one of his artworks, which was a collection of of years of work um, for roughly $69 million um, at auction. And Prior to that, I think the most people had ever made from selling his artwork was maybe about a hundred bucks. Wow. And it's because all of his art was digital. And if you think of it, when you have a JPEG or a digital file, who's going to buy that? Because you can just copy it for free. Mm-hmm. But because of the blockchain and because of the NFTs um, and how they are linked to the blockchain, you can sort of prove ownership um, you know, along this, this ledger and i'm sorry it's very simplistic but Mm -hmm. my point is that he and and other artists he's not alone he was just the the most well-known at at the time uh has found a way to profit in an area where previously he was just doing it for the passion Mm -hmm. and if you think about it right now the cards are really stacked against musicians because Mm -hmm. You know how do you make money as a musician when you're making pennies if not right. fractions of pennies when your music is played on spotify but what if you turned those those songs of yours into nfts and somehow sold them in a way that was unique or different and maybe it's not nfts maybe it's something analog maybe you you know fold them onto a paper airplane and <laughs> and you know i don't know etch the recording into it with you know i don't know a a um, the beak of a sparrow, but, but like, you know, do something different, get people, you know, and, and, and what I tried to do with Le grand magistery, even though it was very much a reflection of other labels I admired, it was very different than other things that were happening in Detroit, mm-hmm. um, you know, which was all about sort of the garage and loud. This was all very sort of like, um, proper and, um, uh, and quiet in, in a way. But here I am a label that had a, a manufacturing and distribution deal with BMG. So maybe I'm a sellout, um, you know, and 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 not, um, you know, pure to the indie aesthetic. But I do believe, and the only reason I made that deal with BMG was to give the artists a greater, bigger platform mm-hmm. to get their music in more record stores, to get their CDs on the end caps in stores, to get more radio play, to get more press, to get better tours, um, and I think anything you can do to make a living as an artist, that's not selling out, you know, it, it, it's, um, I wish I could think of something great to say, but like, it, it's, it's trying to live out and, and, and you know, get your music to, to as many people as you can and, and do what you love. I mean, you got to do what you love. So I, I, this, you know, this has been a long. I, I don't know if this you've made a second episode now, and so it's going to be early on to it. Uh, but we've been talking for quite a while. It's it's quite late at night, um, and I'm um, luckily recovered from a from a brief flu. Oh, but yes. maybe this is, um, uh, you know, crazy things I'm saying. But uh, but no. I do believe that you should you know, push yourself to do things others aren't doing to try to make it.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that's really, I guess the, the answer to the question is, you know, to, to be different, to be supportive of the artist, because I think then ultimately, I mean, if you're looking at it from a purely label perspective, if the artists are successful, then you're successful. So, you know, I think, I think that, that relationship, label artist it, it i think that's really the connection here and no we're on we're on we're on episode seven of your interview right now. <laughs> <laughs> so i think good. i
2: think this interview has lasted longer than the grand magister <laughs> oh geez
0: um but you know what the good and the bad news i mean for me this is bad news because i've really enjoyed the conversation but this is really my last question and you know i just like to know maybe what what you've been up to recently i mean what are you doing how's yeah. the family? How, what's, what, what's going on with, with the, the design? I mean, where are you at right now? Well, I mean, I guess
2: I've touched on a lot of this already, but, um, you know, I've, I've, I've had several different careers in my life. You know, as I mentioned, as a child, I was a magician, I've worked in design and music and advertising and marketing, um, you know, and, and I still like to keep one toe in each area mm-hmm. and sometimes they come together and, and there's. There's a guy I know named Adam Rubin, who wrote a really great children's book called Dragons Love Tacos. So any any new parents, you got to pick up Dragons Love Tacos. It's it's I believe a New York Times best selling children's book. So um, and he's written many other books too. But anyways, Adam as well has been a magician. He's worked in advertising, and he's he's now a celebrated author. And he once said, and I think he mentioned that he had heard someone else say this, um, but let's just credit him um, because I don't remember who the other person was. But he said that if someone was to pin him down and say like, which one of those things are you? You know, he would say that he's a magician Mm. Um, and that in everything he does, you know, even in writing storybooks, he approaches it like a magician. You know, whether you turn each page and there's sort of a new surprise. And, And when I heard him say that, it really spoke to me. And, and, and honestly, I feel the same way. So Mm -hmm. you ask what I'm doing now. And I think in some ways it's no different than what I was doing when I was in my teens or my twenties or my thirties or forties. And, and, and it's really that no matter what I do, I try to bring sort of that sort of, I don't know, wonder or surprise or joy that, that, you know, I believe magic can bring to people's lives. Mm -hmm. Um, and so whether it's, you know, in things that we're doing with my family and things that I'm doing with work, um, you know, it's obviously magic isn't real, but but sometimes there's there's real magic.
0: I think that's best said. And, I, and I'd, I'd like to kind of close it there. I mean, I think it the interesting thing here is that we really, we really closed the conversation with where we opened it. And I think that's, that's, that really goes to say that that was the right answer. So Matt. I got to tell you, thank you so much. You didn't have to do this. You didn't have to spend the time with me uh, going through, you know, talking about a, a record label that, you know, frankly, you started, boy, 25 years ago at this point, point. 96 like The
2: first oh release was, was 96, oh. you know, which, which I actually start, you know, that tribute album, I started working on it in 94.
0: Jeez. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, you didn't have to do this again. And you know, I, I appreciate the openness. I have to tell you, I appreciate your, your fierce support of this podcast. I mean, you've been, you've been very instrumental in getting the word out about it. And, you know, I just wanted to obviously personally thank you for that. I mean, you didn't have to do that either. So, you know, well, I,
2: I love yeah. it. I, I've, I've been listening, you know, I was following you on Instagram with your records mm-hmm. Um, and was even inspired to do the same um, as, as I was getting rid of some records trying to document them. But nice. I didn't have the stamina to keep that up. Um, <laughs> and then when you launched the podcast, I've really enjoyed it. Um, I've listened to every episode and, and can't wait. I, I might not listen to mine,
0: um, but, uh, but I'll definitely listen to, to all the others. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know what other people think. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank so, you know, with, with that, we're going to close out the discussion with Matt Jacobson today. Uh, founder of the grand magistery i mean matt went through so much about the label the design the artists i mean just shared a whole bunch with us today so again matt thank you so much thank you brian i appreciate it absolutely so you know we're gonna we're gonna kind of close out this this episode with with matt um you know regarding the grand magistery with a track from an artist that we discussed quite a bit today and it was they're called stars again stars is still recording still playing live as matt mentioned um it, the song that we're going to listen to is a is a cover and it's a cover of the smiths classic this charming man uh i'm, I'm not a i'm not a huge fan of electronic based music but i'm going to say that stars is different and you know they're different because i think the approach is laid back it's a luxurious sound that frankly is always connected with me and the fans of the fans of the band worldwide so from stars debut album which we talked about a little bit earlier the epic night songs This is Charming Man. And again, thank you, Matt, for joining me.
2: Thank you, Brian. Again, I really appreciate you um, having the interest in taking the time.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much. Take care. You too. I really, really enjoyed my conversation with Matthew Jacobson and I hope it shows on these episodes. For full disclosure, Matt was recently recovering from a mild sickness and I was just utterly exhausted from a very long day of travel when we recorded these. But after listening to this, I think those aren't really as apparent as I felt at the time we were talking. So one of my biggest takeaways from these two episodes is really the role that magic played in the arc of the label and in Matt's life. You'll definitely hear that in the beginning of episode one and really more so at the end of episode two of this. Um, I think you'll really get a feel for how Magic played a role and in, in really who Matt is and really what he wanted to do with the label. I also really, really loved hearing more about his work with Jack White and Third Man Records. I've always held a deep appreciation for the design aesthetic of that label as well as the music they released. Matt's stories of working with Jack and his team are worth listening to my discussion with him just by themselves. Again, I'd like to thank Matt for taking nearly two hours of his time on a Wednesday night to discuss the grand magistery and really his fierce support of this podcast. He's turned many, many people into the vinyl Detroit podcast for which I'm really, truly thankful. As always, you can hear all the episodes of the vinyl Detroit podcast on your favorite podcasting platforms, including Apple podcasts, podcasts, google spotify and others feel free to leave me a comment or review or feel free to drop me a note at vinyldetroit.podcast at gmail.com. so to close today's show i wanted to play one of my favorite tracks that matt released by the band pascal it came from the incredible album i was raised on matthew mark luke and laura which was released in 2008 on the label Thank you one last time for listening and let's close my discussion with Matthew Jacobson of Le Grand Magistery with the wonderful track You Were Too Old For Me by Pascal. Thank you.
1: You were too old for me Although there was some apprehension I must wait and see What God alone has brought together well, it must be something well, There must be something Much too old for me. All the shortness of breath and the missteps never, well, they never really faced me. And all your old stories of war and depression were, well, they were really something. Were they really something? Well, they must be something. front of me, no, I didn't believe them when they told me all was a lie, and I'm not listening now when they try to save their worms, make homes, in yeah, eyes will be because everybody needs someone they could pray to, well, 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 everybody needs one thing. It's untouchable Oh, and I've got you And if anything I know is true You ain't going anywhere soon Going anywhere soon Going anywhere soon You were too old for me, you know And everyone was talking about you While our heads were turned Looking into each other's eyes we grow all the way from the day I was born And from the day I was born oh, 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 oh. Well, it's just what I thought Well, it's just what I thought Just stay in. Just stay in. Just stay in. Just stay in. No, I didn't believe them when they told me you lost all your hair. And I'm listening now when they swear from them free-floating fish in the air. Because Someone they could pray to I know I do, yeah Everybody needs the one thing That's untouchable Oh, and I've got you And I don't give a damn If what they say is the truth Because everybody needs A little thing just like you everybody needs Someone they could pray to Oh, oh, oh Everybody needs the one thing That's untouchable Oh, and I've got you. And if anything I know is true, you ain't going anywhere so Going anywhere so Going anywhere soon? You ain't going anywhere soon. Going anywhere soon? Going anywhere soon? You ain't going anywhere soon. Going anywhere soon? Going anywhere soon? You ain't going anywhere soon. Going anywhere soon?